This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Women Tech Charge. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Maffedon, and today I am speaking to Czech Warner, who is co-founder and CEO of the not-for-profit Diversity DC, and she's also the co-founder of Ada Ventures. Welcome, Czech. Thank you so much for having me. It's thrilling to be here. I'm glad you're finding it thrilling already, and we've not even started. Um, To mirror you, I am thrilled that you are here. So, um... You're a name that comes up all the time in any kind of very important discussions or diversity things that are being discussed. Um, And I've wanted to say hey to you for a while. I guess we've had a pandemic, so we've not bumped into each other. Um, But I'm following you on Twitter and people should definitely follow you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? It's at Czech Warner. And I think the only reason that my name comes up is because it's such an odd name, especially for a VC who writes checks. Perhaps that's why <laughs> people remember Czech. it. It's like American writing checks. It's American writing checks. Yeah. yeah. But it's like the British check mark or check yes. that you how are doing things properly as a VC, maybe. Yeah. Awesome. So you are a VC, a venture capitalist, but you originally studied English literature at university and you wanted to be an actress. Where were you, or can you remember the moment when you first knew what venture capitalism was or knew what a venture capitalist did or or understood the letters VC? I discovered it whilst I was working in advertising. And really, it was through my boyfriend at the time who was working at Google. And he was pretty active on Twitter and followed quite a few blogs and things. And I think he let me know that there's this job that you can pick companies and you can invest in these companies. And, you know, it's super interesting, varied. And I thought, God, that sounds like the absolute dream. Uh, but I then looked at my own profile and thought, well, there's absolutely no way that I'll ever, ever get to work in that. It's just 
not ever going to be right for me because I don't have finance background. I don't have consulting. I don't have any of the, I don't tick any of the boxes that they want me to tick. Um, and then I discovered someone else who had an English literature background who was working in VC. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And yet this is not something that we see often enough, I guess, across the, the, across VC who kind of did your, did your initial role and, presumably did did well at it otherwise we, we maybe wouldn't be recording this podcast um <laughs> ended up founding um diversity vc to open up and kind of give more people that chance or get more people to think that way kind of what's what led you to what was again what was the special moment what led you to start diversity vc so i you know, come from a lot of privilege and looking around in the industry i was you know, unusual in that I was a woman, but in every other way, I looked and sounded exactly the same as everyone else in the industry. And I just thought that that was terrible, particularly given that tech and venture capital that's funding tech is supposed to be funding, you know, that industry for the next 10, 20 years and building the companies of the future. But yet everyone who was in that industry was coming at it with exactly the same point of view. And it wasn't accessible to anyone who didn't come from that kind of consulting, finance, private school, white, Oxbridge, you know, background. Um, so Diversity VC was a response to that. And really it came from meeting up with another couple of people who were at the associate level. Uh, so Lillian, Travis, a woman called Jules. And we were associates, really the, the entry level in VC. And we were observing this and talking about it. And was there something that already existed that, that was changing this? And it turned out there wasn't anything. And so we had a fireside chat at which we had people who were in the industry, who were gay, who were women, who were non-white and who kind of hadn't been to one of those elite colleges. And at that discussion, there was just so much energy and so much kind of passion for something to exist that was addressing this and trying to you know, push down these barriers that that I think that flame that was lit in that discussion has sustained us for the next four years. Brilliant. So it's people coming together that want change and that are kind of inside, which I think is something that's that's fairly valuable and and has probably been quite a big contributor to your success is that you're you're able to kind of talk about what good looks like and what should be happening as people that work alongside kind of these VCs that have our pat, that pattern match and kind of pick the same over and over and over again. So Ada Ventures is the fund that you that you started. Um, had you started a fund before that? Had you ever, no, you'd never done it. So this is the first time you're doing it and you're like, I'm going to do it better than everyone else on my first go. <laughs> Bold, I know. <laughs> we love it. We love to see it. Um, and so with Ada Ventures, what has been, what's been the crux? What's the strategy in addition to the way that you do business and the way that you're setting up the team, what what was the market need or what was the what was the need for Ada Ventures? So Ada Ventures' strategy is to invest in overlooked founders and overlooked markets. So we believe that there's a sort of market failure within venture capital, and there are whole industries, sectors, segments, people who have not been able to access capital historically, and therefore there are these huge untapped opportunities. And the three sort of areas in terms of markets that we look at are um, looking at Gen Z as a kind of consumer group. So people who are now sort of 23 and below, what they're going to be doing over the next 10 years. So that could be education. It could be consumer products. It could be climate related. 
The second one is diverse customers, so women, um, generally the kind of non-heteronormative populations. And how, how funny is it that women are, are seen as that diverse? I mean, this is the other thing, not sorry to labour it, it, but going back again, it's like how, how interesting is it that you can set up a strategy and you're going to invest in, in companies that do things for women and that's like, that's a new idea yeah. <laughs> that's like it's a unique strategy it's like they're overlooked but they gave birth to you like how is that even that's why I, that's the thing that I think boggles the mind so much for me about VC is you know what uh, there's there's so many times where it's like what world is are you living in that women are a niche because it's not the real world is it really yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, I think it's when you start to see some of those sort of numbers and the order of magnitude of the numbers of disparities between funding for you know women and minority ethnic groups versus the other groups I mean in terms of asset management I think it's 1.7 percent of assets under management globally are managed by women and minority ethnic it's absolutely absolutely insane right sorry anyway I I interrupted you there right so this niche group of people that we tend to call (laughs) the women are also part of your strategy and is there a third a third leg to it or is the third leg leg to it is is aging uh so sort of people over the age of 60 70 you know never heard of being 60 is is old yeah never heard of never heard of anyone (laughs) over 60 yeah okay right that's a new another new group of people right okay well, I think what this, I suppose what we bring this back to is that the industry likes to invest in things that it can directly relate to, which is a very human trait. And we all have biases of things that we identify with. Um, and, you know, there's not many 80 year old VCs and there's not many women VCs and there's not many 15 year old VCs. So there are these, we think, kind of untapped opportunities in, in investing in companies that are serving those groups. One of which is Furley and Billy Quinn. Then um, you've also got Polypop. Tell us about Polypop. So Polypop is the world's first dissolvable sanitary pad. Uh, so Polypop have invented a sanitary pad which is flushable and is completely sustainable, completely biodegradable, and the average number of plastic bags in every sanitary pad is four and a half. So it is massively unsustainable as an industry and, and in a lot of parts of the world you know sanitary pads are the primary thing that people use and then you look at incontinence pads so you know talking to that aging aging population piece again and then nappies it's just an enormous and very stagnant market so we're excited about what they can achieve that's super exciting i think yeah i've never i've never had i've had i've, I've kind of thought about it in the context of incontinence pads but never of nappies but it's it's great. There's like a cradle to grave, definitely story and kind of revolutionary uh, company that we could have there again for this really niche group of people that you know, <laughs> use sanitary pads, <laughs> incontinence pads, and also use nappies. What a niche! <laughs> How great is it that you've managed to discover that? And Polly Pops have actually managed to do that in 2020. And the other one that I that I absolutely love, I love this is organize which I think definitely for what's going on at the moment and the kind of upheaval, fourth industrial revolution, like all the things are pointing to the fact that people need more than ever to be able to kind of organise together and and trade unions is something that's, uh, it's not becoming more prevalent, but I think people are kind of remembering the way that that things maybe used to be and there are, there are elements and there are glimmers of 
things that we should probably continue or that we've lost by the kind of the loss of power that we've got in trade unions. Um, do you want to give us maybe the pitch of organising yeah. and, and also why it was something like how did that happen? How did it be that uh, this startup called Organise Working with Trade Unions or Working Trying to Create Trade Unions ended up being connected into you? Yeah, so it's it's fascinating, and I'm very excited about the impact that they're having. They've gone from seventy thousand users back in March when we invested to over seven hundred thousand users today. So they have had a a major kind of growth spurt during the pandemic because, as you identified, it's just been so many abuses of power that have taken place in you know workplaces. Organize is exactly that's trying to reshape and reform some of the great things about trade unions that existed in a much more technology first way. So it's a, a platform, a digital platform that gives people the tools to campaign for better rights at work. And I think trade union membership is now under 25% in terms of the working population. So, and it's, it's going down every year, but actually a lot of the things that trade unions are doing and, and have done are really valuable and particularly for people who are the most disadvantaged on the lowest wages don't have a voice organized gives those people a voice which i find just an amazing thing for us to be able to support and, and invest in because i think it's going to be hugely valuable and we've already sort of started to see that how did they come come yeah, to how, us how did um, yeah how did so they actually yeah. they just uploaded their investment deck to our website and this is something that I've banged on about for ages with other VCs is look, warm introductions where you just get introductions from your network are not inclusive. So give an opportunity for founders who come from diverse backgrounds who might not have the networks to just pitch you. And you have to look at those pitches and evaluate them properly. So it was exciting to see when they uploaded their deck, we then got in touch, had a couple of emails, had a couple of meetings. We met them for a three hour in-person meeting, went for dinner and then invested. So the whole process took about two months end to end. Okay, awesome. And are you able to say how much you invested? Uh, yes, we invested three hundred and fifty thousand pounds in Over a five hundred thousand pounds. Gosh, I should come. I should come to dinner more. Come for dinner with me. I've yeah, got all the ideas. Right. I'm I'm, a bl- I'm black and a woman. Can you imagine how niche? Okay, right. Anyway, sorry. and the founder. And the founder. So the uh, the other aspect. So I and I and I, I think it's a very important thing. And so I fully get the idea of. Being a VC and being able to say, okay, cool, it's not a platform I have, but it's funding I have, and your idea is better, and I trust you to implement it. But I think it's it's quite interesting because I'm always like, gosh, what are they going to do? Like, if I lose some of the money, what happens? So, in venture, the rough maths works out as a third, a third, a third. You know, a third of companies fail completely, a third do okay, and a third kind of knock the cover off the ball. And investors wouldn't be happy with you if you did just lose money. Um, across that entire group of say 30 companies that would be a bad bad outcome but it is okay if a third of those companies don't do well as long as you've got the winners in that portfolio as well so it's quite a different type of business and risk analysis to really in, in any other industry and interestingly they've done a lot of studies where they've looked at people who take a lot of risk and actually the people who take the most risk both do the best and have the the most losers which makes sense so I think that that's one aspect to it but also I think it's like reframing the idea of failure actually because just because we've invested in something that hasn't worked out actually that can be a really positive experience for a founder they can then go and they can you know maybe start another company and they can learn from those experiences or actually you know discover something else 
through having the opportunity. I think what frustrates me is that a lot of people don't even have the exactly. opportunity to fail. I, I think, and I think that's the the other interesting thing about capital in general for startups is that opportunity to fail, the way in which you can fail, the number of times in which you can fail also differs so wildly that it it does colour your experience as a founder. I always end up wanting to temper this, you know, failure is a good thing. Your capacity for failure and for that kind of risk appetite is definitely very much linked to the privilege that you have as well in that, you know, it was a privilege to be able to work from your wife's garage for ages and be able to kind of you know, have that kind of support. And I think the other thing I've always struggled with and still to this day struggle with is it's such large amounts of money. And I'm always questioning where has that money come from? And is this the best use for that money? And so for me with VC or anything it is, I think I'd almost be, I might be too stringent because my thing would not be, is this making money? My thing would be, what is the overall impact of this business existing? It seems very kind of just gain, 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 with no context on that gain, because I don't know, there's an element of me that's like, should that person really be a billionaire? Like I always have this at the back of my mind. It's like, why do they have billions to their name? Capitalist in the job title is, I guess, yeah, sort of I does mean... <laughs> to some extent like show you what you're getting. And, and it's maybe it's, why you would call yourself VCs. Like I, I would do the same. Yeah. <laughs> Hide the capitalist piece. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I think if we need, like, a... Like a complementary industry alongside VC that's the kind of failure industry that kind of is almost insure helps insure people or kind of give them a bit more of like a cushion or a safe landing for when this does fail because things do fail here's how you know here's a little bit more support to be able to bounce back which might also mean might also help with our diversity numbers of the kinds of founders that we have or kinds of people that we know that want to become founders because if it's de-risked um, and you're, you're not going to lose absolutely everything in the process, then you're probably more likely to to risk things. Absolutely. Uh, failure is literally not an option for a huge, huge number of people. And I think that that is very problematic because if you don't have an opportunity to take risk, to experiment, you will just not be as successful. And think about things like Instagram and Airbnb. You know, They both pivoted from what they were trying to do originally something completely different and yet they had people funding them for 
the terrible idea that they had at the beginning um, and, you know, still funding them through to the next idea and maybe even the next idea. And I think a lot of founders, you know, especially if they're from sort of diverse backgrounds, A, they don't have the opportunity to fail. They don't have the opportunity to raise friends and family money. They don't have the opportunity to pivot. They don't, they're not funded to a big enough extent that they have time to pivot. And so they end up in a dead end, actually, which is really sad because then they're put off it. Um, so, you know, I think that's a great idea, this sort of parallel fund. And there's, there's some things that we're thinking about at ADA, which we haven't yet announced, but um, that surprise, are on this, on, this, yeah, on this point. Um, so the final thing I wanted to touch on was around scouting. So ADA actively scouts, and I've got in my notes, or a little birdie has told me, that you also look for, you kind of are, are one of your favourite things to scout is people with disabilities. Yes, yes. Why? I mean, not that you shouldn't, but let's let's hear the rationale so we can all scout people with disabilities more in our lives. Yeah, yeah. So the way that we operate at Ada is that we do all the normal things. We go to demo days, we go to pitch days, etc. But we also work with an amazing community of people who lead organisations that are underrepresented in tech and VC. And there are 50 of those people. They are doing a whole range of different things across the country in a lot of different communities. And the idea is that if they bring us a company that we end up investing in, we pay them both an upfront cash fee and also a carry a share of the carried interest, which is the profit that we make from the fund. Um, and we want to have as broad a coverage as possible because we think it's really important that we don't have any specific criteria around who we will invest in. It is it is open. It is open to anyone. We can invest in anyone. But when it comes to the, the sourcing, we want to see as broad a range of different founders as possible. So currently, we don't have a network that speaks to people who are disabled. So we want to have, have one of those networks. And, and I think that I guess a broader point is that a lot of those people are discriminated against face, you know, physical barriers to entry in terms of getting into offices, getting into workplaces that are you know, more nine to five. And actually entrepreneurship offers people who uh, you know, have faced some of those barriers a chance to build businesses, build wealth. And in our own lives, we know people who have, have exactly that, entrepreneurs who have disabilities who've built amazing, huge businesses because they haven't, you know, they've actually had the opportunity. They haven't just been screened out in the first CV screen. So if anyone is listening and wants to be one of those scouts or it runs one of those networks, then definitely get in touch with Check. Yeah, get in touch. On the website, yep. let everyone in. Yes. So it's brilliant. You can all get your dinner and get your 350 grand off it. And I wanted to close by coming back, kind of trying to full circle it. Um, yeah. You originally wanted to be an actress. But yes. that, we kind of spoke a little bit about why that, that hasn't worked out yet. It's <laughs> still yeah. time. Still a lot um, of time. <laughs> is there a way? Have you have you seen any way, any overlap between acting and VC that you're kind of, you've got kind of on your back burner to explore or to delve into one day? Because I feel like the two worlds like collide, would collide fairly well. Like there's a lot of investing that goes on in film sets and all the rest of that. I also know brilliant Maureen Tangi, who runs an art agency, kind of like a VC firm. So I'm wondering, like, is there is there scope for like an actress actress agency or acting agency that runs like a VC firm? Totally. And uh, I mean, you've probably seen the show Silicon Valley. There are lots of programmes like Dragon's Den that sort of cover founders pitching to VCs. So mm -hmm. that's a kind of interesting concept in The Apprentice and things like that. Um, but I have this 
slightly mad idea to maybe make aid adventures you know at some point into some kind of show where we're going around the world or the country and finding these entrepreneurs who you know, don't fit the traditional mold and going and spending time with them wherever they are um so if anyone wants to Netflix, work with me on that <laughs> that's I'm my the first. <laughs> I need to get my cut on that as well. Awesome. Thank you very much, Czech. Um, This is why everyone said we should chat. And I know this is not the last time we're going to. So thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.